Hi, this is Gillian from Rice Reflections. Welcome to this episode of At Work, our fortnightly podcast on all things inequality, injustice and oppression in the workplace. And so, yes, I am really excited to be here again. Thank you very much for people who keep listening, people who send us comments, queries, questions sometimes about some of the challenges that they face and we want to share how the podcast has impacted them. Thank you very, very, very much. In fact, I was stopped in John Lewis, I think it was 10 days or so ago, by a listener who recognized me and told me how she loved the podcast. And so we had a little bit of a conversation and my girl was around. And it was a lovely moment. I always appreciate when people say that they have been touched and they have been helped in some way by my thinking, I guess, by my words. Thank you very much to the listener. It was a pleasure to meet you. Come say hello if you see me. I always appreciate people who want to discuss my work in any way, shape or form. So here we are in this episode. I'm going to go straight into the subject matter. And that is related to, I guess, a query that was put to me fairly recently, actually, that I have allowed to kind of live in my head, rent-free, as we say, for a little bit of time. and see what I could make of it because it's something that is central to the way that I work as a clinician, as a psychotherapist, as a psychologist. So it's something that I have been thinking about. We've touched upon it in various episodes in some ways, but I thought it might be a good idea to dedicate a whole episode to that so that we can connect it to the workplace, perhaps a bit more specifically. Without further ado, this is what I'm talking about. Someone say to me, okay, but when it comes to experience of racial trauma, racial trauma in various contexts, and it was in the context of higher education, actually, that, that the question was put to me, but equally applicable in work uh, situations. So the question was, when it comes to racial trauma, isn't it that we bring some baggage that may make us more vulnerable than others? And so people should address that baggage. And I love that question. It's an important question and it can get uncomfortable as a question. But I thought, Okay, let me say a little bit about that. Before I do, I would direct everyone to Living While Black again, my first book, which was published, what, a year and a half or so ago. Every penguin, go and get it because I go into detail around the question of what I call the intersection of trauma in the book, which was also a conceptualization that I had initially proposed as part of my first doctorate. So yeah, go get the book, go get Living While Black if that is an area that interests you. But right now I'm going to say a little bit around that and also try to make links with the workplace. So where do I start? Maybe with a little bit of empirical findings to kind of contextualize what it is that we are talking about. When I talk about the intersection of trauma, I'm saying that our history of trauma, particularly in infancy, but not exclusively, is going to affect our vulnerability to other traumatic experiences that we will have in adulthood. Now, again, nothing that is groundbreaking that hasn't been thought about before. But what hasn't necessarily been thought about and considered 
in relation to, say, racial trauma, say, social trauma more generally, or oppression-related trauma, if we like, is that those experiences that we may have in the workplace, that we may have in our adulthood, are also going to intersect with early life experiences. And so what I mean by that, which is backed now by empirical evidence, not a huge amount of empirical evidence, I must say, because the empirical evidence that we have when it comes to the impact of racism tends or has tended not to be intersectional, even though that is started over the past three, four years or so. There's been more intersectional inquiries around the impact of oppression and the impact of racism. So there is a little bit of empirical evidence, but certainly there is a lot of theoretical support. And so what the evidence suggests, which is consistent with obviously intersectionality as an analytic lens is that the more people have had adverse life experience in relation to access of oppression, the more vulnerable they are to experiencing distress when they are subjected to discrimination. I hope that surprises no one. People might say, well, that's common sense. I mean, if you work in the mental health sector, yeah, it would be common sense for, for most of us. But nonetheless, now we do have the evidence. So that is helpful to know. And so the idea, the conceptualization of what I call the intersection of trauma is that when in my own work, and that was also backed on by my experience clinically. So when I talk about my own work, I'm talking mainly clinical work, but also my research work in addition to the empirical evidence that exists out there that's not related to work that I've done myself, is that I found again and again that people who have had what we call adverse childhood experience, ACE, such as, let's say, being separated from parents, disrupted attachment in infancy, parental divorce, bullying at school, growing up in poverty, parental illness. I mean, the classic adverse childhood experience would be more vulnerable to racism and to indeed other adverse life experience. We know that that has been well documented. But what was fairly new in my work is that when it comes to experience of racial trauma and when it comes to the distress created by racial trauma, this was also a function of people's histories. And so that meant that generally people who had, say, more secure, less disruptive, more securely attached childhood relationship tended to be, quote-unquote, more robust. I don't like that word. Resilient. I don't like that word. Less likely to become, say, traumatized by experience of racism. So we're talking about our capacity to cope with white supremacy being also affected by factors that sit at least largely outside of white supremacy. So, for example, if your parents had, say, cancer when you were a child, that might affect, particularly if you didn't get the support, that might affect your resilience when it comes to coping with life stress and, of course, racism. 
is a chronic life stressor. And so that means that you might be more vulnerable when it comes to experience of discrimination in adulthood. And more specifically, when it came to thinking around intersectionality, I found that in my own research, and that's backed down by other research, that people whose identity, whose life was affected by more than one act of oppression also became more vulnerable to racial trauma when they were exposed to racism or to race discrimination, they were more likely to become traumatized or to experience high level of traumatic stress. So to come back to the very specific question, do we bring something in terms of our vulnerability when it comes to our experience of racism, race discrimination in the workplace? Inevitably, we do. That's just the nature of being a human being. What we have learned about the world, our belief about the world, how we appraise what has happened to us, how we make connection with history, how we relate to a kind of intergenerational or ancestral experiences. All of that and more is going to be important in how we respond to race discrimination, to whiteness. All that is in the picture. Having said that, we do know that it is not only what we bring into the equation. Uh, so that's not only what we bring as, uh, you know, analyst or, you know, clinician might say from the there and then is also what we bring in the here and now. So it's not only a factor of the level at which we have been exposed to adverse childhood experiences. It's also what we bring by way of, say, support, by way of our capacity to make sense of what is happening to us. So our capacity to formulate, to conceptualize what is happening to us is also how people respond to the distress, right? So that is more of a contextual factor rather than what we bring. But nonetheless, all those factors are going to influence how we respond to racial trauma. So it's never one thing alone. It's never, well, oh, because you were bullied as a child, even if the bullying had nothing to do with racism, say you experienced sexual abuse as a child, that would, I believe, make you more vulnerable to racial trauma as, as an adult if you were to experience a race discrimination. But equally, if you experienced racial harassment as an adult, you are likely to be more vulnerable to experiencing racial trauma if you are exposed to race discrimination in your adulthood. So I guess what I'm saying is that, yes, we are not all equal in the face of the harm and the violence of racism. That's just life. We're not all equal in anything, really, when it comes to the cause that life deals us. That's just a fact of life and as part of, you know, the unequal society that we all live in. But that doesn't mean to say that we can't, A, increase our self-awareness and insight and B, understand that even if we have had uh, difficult experiences, that we can build our capacity to remain intact in the face of racism. But that capacity is always going to be temporary. It's going to be time specific. It's going to be time limited as well. And so that means that, yes, you might be OK on one occasion 
for one particular event, but actually over the course of your lifetime, if you continue to have the same kind of experience, it doesn't matter how much support you get, there's going to be an impact. It doesn't matter how much work you do on yourself, it's going to be an impact. It doesn't really matter how much, uh, you know, conceptualization, how much formulation, how much therapy you have. Nobody is ever going to be 100% shielded from the impact of hatred and racism. I'm sorry, this is not the way that we have been designed as human beings. There's a very high psychological and biological cost to exclusion and to othering. And so that's what we really want to stay rather than trying to then get into victim blaming and, you know, blame people's history as to the reason why they are struggling more than other people. I think that is the work of us therapists, analysts, psychologists, clinicians, working with those people to try and have some kind of helpful conversation around what would be helpful to process if people find themselves in situation where those wounds get activated or intersect with treatment in the here and now, as we would say. But that's not for people in the workplace, for colleagues and for bosses to now try to speculate over what's going on or what might have been going on in people's history that might make them more vulnerable in the present, in the workplace. That, I would say, would be a breach of boundary. That would be inappropriate. But that doesn't mean to say that people cannot be compassionate and just take it as a given that there is a lot of unknown when it comes to how we deal with colleagues. People are fighting battles, as we say, that nobody knows um, about. Uh, and uh, and sometimes people might present in a way that appears out of kilter with the situation. It's important that we remember that it's rarely, you know, in my, what, 15 years of so experience as a clinician and as a therapist uh, of some kind, uh, it's rarely out of kilter. There is always a reason for the way people respond, the way that they respond. And if you can hold that in mind, I hope that can help us to be more compassionate towards people whose responses we might struggle to make sense of. I have been able to answer that question in a way that's helpful. Yes, we bring something. Yes, our history matters. Yes, how we make sense of the world matters. Yes, contextual factors matters as well. So the amount of support that we have, whether, you know, our experience are denied or whether they are accepted and validated, whether we are offered the conceptual tool to make sense of our experience, that matters. Whether our forebears also have had similar experiences, whether we connect to the pain of people can before us. All of that matters. And that's why working with racial trauma is extremely complex. And that's why it takes a lot of skills and a lot of understanding that go beyond the psychological and the intra-psychic. And so that is it, my good people. I hope that has been helpful. Again, please feel free to send us your questions, your queries, your dilemmas using at work at reflection.co.uk. And for now, I'm going to say thank you for listening and please take care.